journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. A sunny good afternoon. This is Adol Kazilski. This is 101.9 High FM, and we are here together for the next 45 minutes, joining in the wonderful study of Torah. And we are making our way, as I've said, almost to the end of the book of Bereshis. I'm really, really excited that um, we've been plodding at it for nearly two years. And we're about to finish up the book. I don't think we're going to be finishing it today. What we are going to do today, though, is we're going to kind of take a bit of a pause in the actual text and just go through a little bit of the laws of mourning. We just read how Yosef, Joseph, and his brothers mourned Yaakov. And as we know, Judaism takes, um, takes, not Judaism takes, Judaism gets involved in every single aspect of our lives. And some people seem to find it uh, quite constricted, but quite honestly, I believe it's something that gives us the ability to understand our lives more. So we have lots and lots of laws regarding lots and lots of everything. And one of the places where the Torah shows a tremendous amount of compassion, and one doesn't really, really appreciate it when when sometimes you read it like at face value, but it is such a compassionate um, viewpoint, and that's when it comes to mourning. I want to preface um, my comments, and of course, as always, love you to join the conversation on 34519 or 0618951019. Um, I want to pre- preface all my comments on mourning and, and all the different laws and um, uh, strictures that we have by saying that I learned about the laws of mourning in a very, very interesting way. Um, it was at the time um, close to, I think, where my dear father passed away and I went through um, the motions we're going to speak about now, not really understanding, understandably, when a person hears of a loved one passing on, uh, you know, one is thrown into turmoil, one kind of like gets disconnected and thrown into to a... Um, into a place that that is not comfortable, that stirs up a lot of emotions, and that really jolts you all over the place. But I saw an incredible juxtaposition to the way that I was guided through mourning and what I saw. So what did I see? I was at that time um, working with with a, a young lady, a Gentile lady, um, very, very nice. We got on fabulously well. And um, she didn't say too much about her personal life, but one Tuesday morning she comes to work and she looks quite sullen. And I said to her, hey, what's wrong? You look so sad. She goes, yes, my mother died yesterday. Well, that for me was like quite horrific. Like, what are you doing at work? You just lost your mother. And that's quite a blow to yourself. What are you doing up? I didn't say it in exact those words, but I said, to her, I'm terribly sorry and my condolences I said, why are you here? Like, don't you want to be at home? She says, no, there's no need for me to be at home. I said, why? She says, well, they're only going to be burying her on Saturday. And so, like, just to get my mind off things, I'm coming to work. Let me at least do some work and, you know, kind of like divert my attention. 
And I was like quite taken aback. I mean, understandably, you're in a state, like what are you doing at, at home? And then I kind of like thought to myself, well, maybe she does have a point, you know, she should, what are you going to do at home, sit and just cry and be upset? And, and then I said to her, well, why are you waiting till Saturday? Why don't you bury your mother straight away? She said, no, that's our custom. That's what our church does. I don't know. She gave, she gave some type of reason. And anyway, this poor girl came to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday, they had the, the funeral. She came back on Monday looking worse than ever. Um, and I tried to, you know, connect with her, tried to comfort her. And I could see that this entire, this entire week had been like just crazy for her. Sadly, Tuesday she doesn't come to work and we get a phone call from a family member. She was young, she was 35, that she had a stroke and they had put down the stroke to stress and tension. And that really just threw me way off. And I couldn't but think that the, the, the manner in which she had to come to terms with the, the mourning and the loss of her mother um, they, they were unkind to her. She was trying to straddle two worlds. She was trying to straddle the world of normality, of going to work, of like almost in a sense pretending that nothing had happened. And in the meantime, trying to reconcile the fact that her mother had suddenly passed away and she had to deal with the mourning. And the reason I share the story with you, it had an indelible mark on me. I was like, I was like finished for a long while afterwards. And I kept on thinking of how um, I had to uh, go through mourning for my father. And I saw then and realized and appreciated so much more the kindness and the compassion that that Torah gives to, to a mourner. And I want to just go through some of the steps. I am by no means a rabbi, and I'm putting it out there. I'm putting a disclaimer. There are many, many um, laws that pertain to mourning. And if, God forbid, you do find your um, yourself in, the, in this unfortunate position, please speak to an Orthodox rabbi. They are very... Um, jacked up and are able to, to guide you through the, you know, through the process of mourning. But having said that, the, the little that I am going to share with you, um, my intention is to show you how sensitive, how compassionate, how intuitive Torah is when it comes to mourning. And it's not just only in mourning. Torah understands the nature of a human being. And whilst we will, we would look at certain laws and think, oh, they're archaic. Oh, the, you know, this really doesn't apply to me. No, this doesn't really make sense to me. When you, if I can use the word, are subservient to them, you subjugate yourself to these laws, you will see how incredibly beautiful Torah is and what gifts um, it gives us. Just to digress a little bit before we start on the laws of mourning, you know, um, discussing better things. When you look at the laws of marriage, you look at how Torah um, helps us when it comes to our relationships, particularly to the marital relationship, where it permits marital relations two weeks on, two weeks off, the whole idea of Torah to Mishpacha. Um, and again, you can look at it and think, well, this is not fair and I don't like this and they don't have to tell me when to do that. 
But if you allow yourself to be embraced by the laws and keep them um, to the way that, they, they, that you, you're asked to keep them, you will see how rejuvenating, refreshing, how incredibly important they are on so many levels. It just talks to dignity. It talks to respect. It talks to sensitivity. And really that is with almost every law in the Torah. Because why? Because God created us and he's our manufacturer and he knows exactly how we think and what our mind, you know, how our minds function. And, um, you know, whilst, you know, we, we do like to believe that, that we know who we are and what we want, um, sometimes we don't or sometimes we do not appreciate the extent of the brilliance of Torah. So we're going to obviously speak about negative things, but as a basis just to share that this, in fact, is true of all the laws of Torah. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And of course, if you have any questions, I will attempt to answer. If you have any um, comments on this, like if have you gone through a mourning period? Have you found that it has held you? Have you not had a good experience? Would love to hear from you. Three four five one nine oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine is the telegram number. So the reason why we are talking about the laws of mourning is because the Torah stated that Yosef observed a seven-day mourning period for his father. And this seven-day mourning period, as we know in Judaism, is called Shiva. Shiva means from Shiva, from the number seven. But I want to take back, go back a little bit from the time that one um, acknowledges the death of um, a loved one and just go and give you a few pointers as how Judaism um, looks at it and what is demanded of us and at the same time how it actually holds us. So we know that the wise King Solomon said, a good name is better than good oil and the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. That is in Kohelet, in Ecclesiastics. Okay, now why would the day of death be better than the day of birth? It says that the day um, of death is better than the day of, of, of birth because that is when the soul gets clarity. You know, um, we're, we're told that when one comes into this world and the angel smacks us on, the, on our mouth, the little bump between our nose and our mouth is indicative of having got that little um, smack. And our consciousness um, in, of godliness and of understanding our purpose in life gets hidden, gets closed. Um, and it is our job um, that we go through our life reclaiming that spirituality, that connection, that understanding, um, and that uh, uh, reality that, that we left when we were souls in the world. In fact, um, elsewhere in our teachings, it says that this world is really an upside-down world. Because in this world, when a baby is born, we drink and we're merry and we say mazel tov because another child is, is, being, is born. And when a person passes on, that is when we cry. Says our, 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 our rabbis that in truth, that is a falsity because what really happens is when the soul takes leave of the heavenly chambers and comes down into the world, the world upstairs or the world, the world of souls cries because they're sending the soul away from the, its origin, from its place of comfort, and sending it on a trip 
um, that is unpredictable and 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 painful, um, and it is with a tremendous sense of joy that one um, is welcomed back when one passes on. So we've got like kind of like this paradox, this oxymoron. Here we 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 are happy when the baby is born, and we cry when the the, the, the person passes on, and the vice versa happens in the world to come when you see that um you know they cry when the soul leaves and they are very very joyous when they are brought back many um accounts of near death experiences talks about the fact that you know passing on is not a horrific um a horrific thing and that there is light and that there's joy and that there's there's comfort at the end because you're actually coming back home. And I think that this, number one, lays the basis of one really understanding the journey between life and death. And so it says that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth simply because you're going back to the reality of who you really, really, really are. Um, and also in Ecclesiastics, there's another interesting thing um, in Kohelet, in chapter 7. It says that it's better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, for that is the end of all man. And the living should take that to heart. Again, um, going into a house of mourning is a very sobering experience. It actually puts things in reality. You know, we spend so much of our time running after what we can use the Yiddish word nourish kind. Nonsense. We argue about this and we fight about that and you know we get mad at the at, at whatever else is going on in our lives. And truthfully, um when one is in a state or one one finds oneself in a place of mourning, you know, like all this nonsense that we really get pulled down on um really falls away and we understand the importance of life. So it is a very, very sobering place. And again, interestingly, if one um, asks what is the word for cemetery in uh, Hebrew, it's actually very interesting. It's called Beit HaChayim, the house of life. Now you think, well, hell, if I go to a cemetery, I'm just walking around graves. Well, it is the house of life because that is really where true life is. And this really begets the entire question, what are we doing on this planet, and what is our mission, and who we are, you know, what, what what am I here to accomplish? I don't want to touch really on that right now, and maybe perhaps at another another uh, um, session we can, um, but just suffice it to say, just in context of what we're discussing right now, um, Judaism looks as the transition of death to a greater life, a more expansive life, um, a, a life where one will really understand much, much more than one understands in this constricted um, existence. And it really is incumbent upon ourselves to learn enough, to understand enough, to find out enough, and to start living a reality that every single day, you're not only just functioning because today is today and you're dealing with the trials and tribulations of today, but that today has a tremendous effect not only in your life now, not only in your life for the next 120 years, but there actually is a much, much greater, greater picture. You know, there's the story told of uh, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Schneerson. He was incarcerated by the communists around, I think it was in 1927, I stand to be corrected on the date. 
exactly. But he was thrown in prison in Russia in, in the harsh days of communism where Torah learning wasn't allowed and, and really just practice of anything Jewish was not allowed. And he, he, he was tortured. He was beaten. He, he really had a very, very rough time. Had He had a death sentence on him that was commuted to life, and then eventually he, he came out. He came out a broken man. By the time he arrived in America, he was in a wheelchair. He really, really got a really hard knocking um, from from the Russians. And the famous story is told that one day they were um, they, they they had brought him in for questioning, and they were bullying him and etc. etc. And uh, one of the officers pointed a gun to him, and he said, "You know, this little toy makes a lot of people talk, and and you know, like get kind of like get your act together. You, you need to talk." Um, and uh, the Friedrich Rebbe, and I'm paraphrasing here, answered something to the extent of, "This little toy is only for a person who believes in one in in one world, this world." But I believe in another world, and little things like this don't 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 scare me at all. And he really that that was a huge perspective on life, um, insofar as again Judaism doesn't look at death as complete finality, but rather a transference of existence from one plane to another. So I've spent time now trying to explain that, just so that when we do learn the physical laws we are going to have a better understanding of why we do what we do. Well, let's start off first with whom um, do the rules of whom, whom has to, who has to pass away in order for us to be put into a state of mourning. So there are seven close, close relatives that one is obligated to mourn. That is a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, and a spouse. So those are your seven um, direct relatives. Um, and if, God forbid, any of them pass away, then we are obligated to go into a state of mourning and follow the regulatory laws. If a child passes away and the child is less than 30 days old, then there is no um, practical laws of mourning um, because the child will legally, according to halakha, have the status of a stillborn infant. Um, so then you, you don't follow absolutely everything that we're going to be discussing now. So when any of the above dies that, that I've just told you, mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, or spouse, um, from the time that the, the, the person passes on, um, and, and is, we're going to go through the process of burial, etc., etc., a person, a mourner gets the status of what they call in halakha an onan, literally one who is bereaved. And he immediately is then bound by a a whole lot of rules. The first thing is that if one happens to be in the place where the, the person has passed on, say the corpse is, is, is in the house, one is forbidden to eat in its presence, and you have to leave the room, you have to go into another room or to the neighbor where you can eat and do what you have to do because it is considered disrespectful and to do so in the presence of the person who has passed away. Even so, 
he who is bereaved is not allowed to set the table. They are not allowed to eat um, meat or drink wine. They should just have enough to nourish themselves. There is a whole discussion about washing for bread and saying hamoitzi. There is one opinion that it's forbidden um, that one shouldn't one should wash one's hand, but you cannot make the blessings over washing hands and hamoitzis. Another opinion says that you can't not eat without a blessing. That you should hear other people and answer amen. Again, this is something that you should speak to a rabbi about. Nevertheless, from the time that a person is aware of the death of one of his relatives um, and until burial, and um, he gets the um, gets a status of being suspended, so to speak, from from the reality of day to day things. Um, one is not allowed to do any work. One is not allowed to bathe or wash for pleasure. Um, one is also exempt from all the positive commandments because it says that one's mind is only focused on getting the deceased to 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 be buried. Now, here is the first, I think. Um, the the first uh, compassionate thing, and this is where I saw the difference between what happened to this Gentile lady um, when she mourned her mother. Um, she forced herself to go back into reality, and that is 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 is, is a, a very cruel thing. It's a, it's a very very painful thing to do because you can't just go back to reality. It's not it's not okay. You've just heard and 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 and. Um, taken in the death of a very close relative, you need to be suspended from reality and you need to be left with your your grief. Now, one of the amazing things is that Torah commands us to grieve. You know, one of the things that sometimes people try to do is just try to like, you know, put everything under the carpet, just move along. When in truth, Torah commands, you need to grieve, you need to cry. And there's all sorts of stages of mourning and it recognizes um, that mourning to be what it is and if you go speak to any psychologist um, or anybody who understands uh, the psychology of the human mind it is very therapeutic to really face confront the death allow one's emotions to come out in an appropriate and correct time and place so from the time of that the deceased has passed on um, one is suspended from all positive mitzvahs. One is not allowed to 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 do anything in the room where the corpse is lying. Um, in in many cases, we we await the wonderful work of the Hebrew Kedusha, the burial society, um, and even then, like the body is treated with a tremendous amount of respect. It is covered. A candle is left burning at the top of the head of of the deceased. Uh, the windows are open because it says that there is a dismembering between the body and the soul. The soul is moving out, and that, that, that is what we do. Now, if this is obviously the status of an onan, a bereaved person, if it's happened during the, the week, if that person passes away on Shabbat or on a festival, then you, you do not go into a bereaved state. The relatives must keep all the commandments. They can still even go to shul, for all the services, the only thing that they cannot do is indulge in marital relations. They can eat meat, they can drink wine, and obviously not in the presence of the deceased, etc., etc. So many, many times 
Um, we will see different laws pertaining if the person has passed away on a weekday or if he passes on Shabbat or a festival. The general rule is on a Shabbat and a festival, we are not allowed to mourn, and all the strictures of the mourner are suspended. In fact, on the, on the contrary, um, they have to behave as much as possible normally and wait until the weekday when the, 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 their beloved will be buried and they will do the appropriate um, actions then. Now, when it comes to preparation for burial, we know that um, across the world we have incredibly sensitive, beautiful, dedicated people who form the Hebra Kadisha, Raya Kadisha, the, the, the holy society, and their job is to bring the person to burial. And really what that means is that they are incredibly attuned to the pain that the soul is feeling having left the body. In fact, it says that um, the soul is very, very distressed that it's been pulled away from the body. The body is distressed that it's lost the soul. And so in kindness, the way Judaism looks at it is that we have to bury as soon as possible. The longer you leave the body and the soul in the state, the longer the pain, not only for the body and the soul, and for the person who has passed on, but for the the mourners as well. Again, going back to the first the story that I spoke about in the beginning, that really was the problem. The poor lady came back to work. She tried to to run life normally, waiting for her mother to 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 be buried. When in truth, it just it took such an emotional toll on her. There was no um, surprise when her body and you know reacted the way it did. Yes, I know that it's an exception to the rule, but nevertheless, it is still. Um, when one is in a state of limbo, it is a very, very difficult thing. That 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 is a rule, anyway, across the whole of life, when one sits on a fence and one doesn't know if it's yes or no, or come or go, or black or white. Um, it's very, very difficult. And so the Torah prescribes that a person needs to be buried, um, ASAP in Israel, when we've spoken about this before, you can go back to previous podcasts. Um, if in Israel they will, any person who passes away, the burial is ha- happens that same day, they go into the night until 12 o'clock at night if they have to. In the middle of the night, it has a lot to do also with the spirituality and impurity that death brings. Um, in, in, in the diaspora, we too try to bury as soon as possible and it is not of any, um, beneficial reason to 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 stop a burial from happening unless a direct member of the family is required a, a son a daughter a mother a father a spouse you know but just so well, we can't really make it now and we want to auntie uh, this one or uncle this one to come from somewhere um, and they're just they're, they're they're not of the seven closest uh, relatives that do not need to mourn it is of no um, benefit both for the mourners and for the deceased to to stop burial. Right, so the Hebra Kadisha, the Hebraya Kadisha, um, a group of holy, beautiful, sensitive, dedicated human beings will take the body and will prepare it for burial by washing the body, by cutting the, the hair and nails, by grooming the body in a very, very respectable manner. And then um, once the body is completely clean, it says the body is prepared as if it's about to greet Shabbat. Um, then what one does is that shrouds um, are, ma- are, are put on them. Shrouds are made of simple white linen, 
both for the poor and the rich. We do not have a distinction between poor and rich when it comes to burial. Um, they leave the hands of the corpse open. A man is also um, dressed in his talus, and um, the, the the body is accorded. In fact, there's these prayers that have been said where those who are preparing the body for burial asks forgiveness that they didn't cause any harm. So we give a tremendous amount of respect to the dead. Have you got any questions? You, you want to share something? 34519 is our SMS line. 618951019 is our telegram number. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 the mourner is suspended in time. In reality, they cannot indulge in anything to do with the practical world around them. And we are focused on bringing the the corpse, the, the, the body, to burial as soon as possible. And it is befitting for me here to talk about the fact that Judaism expects and demands that the corpse is buried in the earth and that the body remains whole, that there is a tremendous relationship between the body and the soul. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is that Judaism unequivocally um, does not um, allow for cremation. While cremation might to some people feel that it's cleaner, cheaper, or whatever reason that there, there is, and it is of tremendous, tremendous pain to the soul to see the body being destroyed. Um, and in fact, there, not only is there a tremendous amount of anguish, a tremendous amount of disrespect shown to the body. Um, another reason why we do not allow for cremation is that we believe in the resurrection of the dead um, and that you also can go back in one, or one of the podcasts I spoke about it, that at, when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, we do believe that, that that's like going to be the grandest party on planet Earth when, when, when God will reinstate peace, health, all the wonderful things that we want through our righteous Mashiach, but part of that entire thing is that the dead will come back to life. Um, and the reason why they will come back to life is because they have to partake of the celebrations. They were part of the process of bringing the world to perfection, and so the bodies will be resurrected. Again, there is a lot just to discuss in there. Um, we believe that one soul can cycle through many bodies, so which body will come up, what happens if... You know, one was married and then uh, their, 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 their wife uh, predeceased them and they got married again and now they're going to have two wives. There's all these questions. I'm not going to answer them now. But um, what I'm emphasizing here is that that um, cremation is an absolute categoric no-no um, from many, many, many aspects. And um, if you are, God forbid, considering such a thing, please reconsider. Please reach out to an Orthodox rabbi. And if God forbid you find yourself in a situation where a loved one has asked for such a thing, um, again, please consult the rabbis that um, we do do what's called the chesed shal emet, the greatest kindness, the kindness of truth, because we're not going to get a thank you for it, but it is still a kindness of truth, and uh, allow the body to be buried accordingly. Um, I'm not going to go through every single thing that happens at the grave. Um, people have been to, to funerals. They, they know the comings and goings, and there are competent rabbis around. 
Needless to say that um, we we do understand that the, that the corpse go, from Earth you were created and from Earth um, you go back again. And we immediately fill up the grave with Earth and everybody who is at the funeral um, participates and puts a few handfuls of Earth in the grave. We are taught thereafter that one may not erect a tombstone until after seven days, um, even if one had known that their relative was passing away to really fix the, the tombstone, we wait for seven days. At least some 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 um, communities have the custom to have it done after seven days. Um, others wait a while longer. You have to put up a gravestone within the year of mourning, which we call the unveiling. Immediately afterwards, we know that the mourner um, remains in a state of mourning. He has to remove his shoes. Um, he has to put on um, cloth slippers, and he is then treated as a mourner for the next seven days. Now, one of the things that one will notice is one of the signs of a mourner is that they have gone through the process of kriya. Kriya is the rendering or the tearing of the garments, and it's ordinarily done right before burial. Um, a Jew is obligated to men and women. Both are obligated, and it doesn't matter who is the deceased. If it's a man, a woman, a child, it doesn't really, really matter. Um, one renders one's garment in a state of mourning, um, and says the words Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, that we bless Hashem in being the true judge. That this death, whilst it, it happened through physical uh, consequences, whether it was through illness and, or a car accident or whatever, whatever way the person met their death, at the end of the day, a Jew recognizes again that God is the true judge, that God had a hand in this, that had God not wanted it would have happened. I mean, this is the will of God, and that we understand that the soul is now on a journey into uh, the next world. Going back to the Kriya, one renders um, uh, this Kriya while standing up. There's a whole lot of of laws down it. It cannot be done with a knife. It has to be done with a hand. Generally, they just start the tearing with a blade, and then the person tears it for themselves and makes the blessing. You're not allowed to re-sew this garment, um, and um, you have to wear it for the seven days of mourning. Obviously, there's all other laws that if it's a stolen garment, you can't take Kriya on it, etc., etc. Um, just for men, it is forbidden for a mourner to put on tefillin on the first day of mourning, but after the burial, he can put on his talus, and he's obligated to keep all other the mitzvah of the Torah, so when it comes to the shiva, to the seven days of mourning, the community facilitates that the mourners, because they cannot leave their home, um, allow for prayers to happen morning and evening in, in their home. Um, a mourner is not allowed to do a whole lot of stuff. Let's just go through them quickly. He's not allowed to wash, not allowed to wear shoes, not allowed to have marital relations, not allowed to work. Um, he's not allowed to do Torah study. And he's not allowed to um, initially greet anybody that comes through the door. So therefore, oh sorry, there's a few other things. He's not allowed to sit in ordinary chairs and he's also not allowed to, to launder his clothes. So for all those reasons, the mourners who are sitting in mourning, they are facilitated through the other family members and the community 
that food is brought to them and that visitors come to them and help them through the mourning period. One other thing that continues not only through Shiva but into Shloshim, into the 30 days, is that one is also not allowed to cut one's hair. One's also not allowed to cut one's fingernails with scissors um, for for 30 days. It is only that is only broken if it is necessary if it's necessary for a woman after the seven days of mourning to go to the mikvah. And a a prohibition against joy is brought brought uh, on onto the mourner. He's forbidden to do anything that will make him happy. Etc. Etc. And that is for them to be focused on the morning. And here's where I'm telling you this compassion. Instead of throwing it under the carpet and trying to pretend that there's that nothing has happened, one is forced to face that reality. And in facing that reality, the healing, the comfort, um, happens in a much more healthier way, as opposed to what I saw again with my dear friend, who 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 didn't really. Um, you know, confront the reality and then landed up in a tremendously compromised uh, place. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Since we don't have too much time further, just again to, to bring to everybody's attention, we have the shiver, the seven-day morning period. Um, that is one week of then what's a much greater a different uh, set of mourning called the Shloshim, which is the 30 days, and then we have the year mourning. Um, and it is after then that all we do is we celebrate every year the anniversary of the passing of the person. As one goes through those motions and the restrictions and then the lifting of the restrictions and moving in and out of it, one can only get a be comforted in a sense of understanding, again, as I said in the beginning, that Judaism is unbelievably kind to us and helps us, holds us, while we go through that mourning period. There is a tremendous amount of information um, on the web, um, um, on Chabad.org and other major Jewish sites. There's very competent rabbis um, that are able to help one go through this. There are incredible counselors, the Nechama Bereavement Counseling that we have in our very own community. All these people and all these structures and structures are there to help a person adjust after the passing of, uh, of of a loved one. And I encourage people to ask questions, to understand, to read, and to be allowed to be held during this time, because, again, Judaism is unbelievable in its sensitivity um, in, in, um, in helping a person through this difficult period. Having said all of that, um, we're about to... Uh, finish up our program, I just wish everybody that we do not have to have this conversation, that everybody should have long life, should have health, should have blessing. We should only speak of good things. And perhaps what we should leave with a prayer that uh, Mashiach should arrive immediately. And not only will we not experience death anymore, but we will receive back into our arms all those who have passed on who will join us in this big world celebration. With that, have a wonderful inspiring and beautiful week ahead.